3: Just a heads up, this episode contains the sound of vomiting.
4: Where's the script? Now, I'm supposed to be getting a new way to say Arden, brought to you by Wayface Industries, the good people, and etc. Those blasted writers are so slow. It'd be faster to put a bunch of prime prime primate mates in a room full of keyboards, have them write the copy. Say, that gives me an idea what do you mean you're already recording
5: previously on arden do you remember where you were when you found out that julie capsum was gone pretty soon it seemed like she was our next
6: big star she's seen by one old codger who used to live around here named gerald Abernathy.
1: i still say he knows way more than he lets on
6: the capsum lawyer Offered me a big payout if I said that Julie said she was scared of some kid.
5: Aaron points?
6: As I drive off, I see her run after me, screaming not to call the police, telling me not to call anyone, pleading.
5: Do you really think the skunk ape took her?
7: You're supposed to be interviewing McPherson tomorrow at the premiere of Guinevere.
5: So, uh, getting back to the lead actress in your movie. Which she was great in. Stop the f- movie! Do you see it? I don't know where you are. The, the upper right corner. Okay. He walks on.
0: Do Camelot. you
5: see it? Oh my god. Oh my god. She turns to look and she smiles. That and that smile she's looking at. That's Ralph Montgomery. Good morning, afternoon, evening, night, or any other assorted time of day, listeners. And if you're listening from outside
1: time and space, you probably want calls from the Void, which airs at 1 a.m. Are they paying you to plug that? I might be guest hosting this week.
5: Welcome back to a new episode of Arden. So, a lot happened last time.
1: To be honest, I would have liked to have kept that cliffhanger out of the episode until we got a chance to follow it up and figure out what it meant, but... Our editors have such a keen sense of
5: drama. Let's recap. Gerald says that the Capson family, represented by Mr. Poins, tried to pressure him into saying that Julie's last words were that she was scared Ralph was going to kill her, while her actual last words were something like, I am awaited. And then, The big kahuna.
7: The
1: whole enchilada, the hey, Macarena,
5: Ralph Montgomery was in Guinevere. Yes, the long-delayed Julie Capson film, Guinevere finally debuted, and (laughs) yeah... At about 52 minutes in, out of a stupefying three and a half hours, he walks into frame and you have a meltdown at the premiere. I did not have
1: a meltdown. The cover of Variety says otherwise. I did not have a meltdown. Podcast Pro pops pretentious premiere with psychotic screeching. And there are no synonyms for yell that start with P. I'm gonna look this up. The
5: important thing is that they called me a Podcast Pro. Also. He and Julie share a look. And she smiles at him, knowingly.
1: Which wouldn't be a big deal, except this film shot a year before Ralph and Julie met.
5: Or are believed to have met. The Halloween story, the relationship that burned hot and burned fast then simmered over a year into tragedy. It's all wrong. Because if they knew each other on Guinevere, is that when they met? Did they already know each other? Why has this been kept from us? Why was the Capson family so insistent that Ralph had to be responsible? And does this have anything at all to do with
1: the torso and the trunk? Is it Ralph's? Does Poins know who stole the evidence? And who burned my truck?
5: And now that such a powerful paper of record, such as Variety has given me the respect I deserve by calling me a podcast pro, when are the people here- going to continue to do excellent work producing this show, Arden, at which everything has gone completely smoothly from the beginning, and frankly, we're all just like family.
2: You know what you just said is never going to make it to air. I know,
5: but I really just had to get it off my chest. (sighs) Anyway, join us as we continue to unravel this mystery. Or just plain unravel. On Arden. On December 25th, 2007, somewhere around 11 p.m., Julie Capsom ran her car off the road and into a tree in the middle of Northern California's most desolate stretch of major highway, halfway between Eureka and Crescent City, California. One witness saw her pacing outside her car, but by the time the police arrived, she had vanished. While dogs picked up her scent headed into the trees, it disappeared in the middle of a forest clearing. What happened to Julie that Christmas night? How could someone that well-known vanish in the United States in the 2000s? And why has this case haunted us ever since? Each week, we'll explore a different part of the story and see if we can't untangle this web and find the answers. Join us, won't you, as we
3: unravel the mystery on Arden.
8: think I recall every extra on my set
5: Cal McPherson as you'll recall is the director of Guinevere.
8: let me explain what an extra is background color set decoration they are not people. And I certainly don't invest my valuable time poring over every single one and saying, yes, that person is born to play student number 57 who walks across the background frame in a shot with no lines.
5: Was Julie involved in casting the extras?
8: She may have asked for a favor here and there, I suppose.
0: She did that a couple of times, yeah. I'm in Jane Austen Fight Club for a few shots. But... What you're saying doesn't make any sense. Natalie Thomas, Julie's friend, was as surprised as anyone
5: by the news of Ralph's appearance in Guinevere.
0: Well, maybe he was stalking her already. Or that's where his obsession was born.
5: Did Julie ever go to
1: any of Tyrell's football games? He and Ralph were on the same team in high school.
0: She was in France for most of that. And she didn't like football. I never went with her to any of them.
1: Did you hear that? I never went with her to any of them. Right. So is that your working theory? It's a start, after the whole bell and blah 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 nonsense. When Julie's sitting around waiting to be readmitted, Julie goes to Tyrell's football game, meets Ralph
5: there. Rosalind! Yeah, boss. Oh Oh, god. Have you been there the whole
7: time? Yeah, rude. You were lying under a pile of coats on the couch. Well, I wouldn't have to sleep under a pile of coats if the sun wasn't so bright. You know, I'll be honest. That ensemble case took a lot out oh, of oh, me. I'd work night and day and night and again to solve that one, and they gave all the credit to that PI and that model. Anyway, Rosalind just swooped in at the end. There, those jerks.
1: Please do an archive deep dive. The exact dates of when Julie was in California during her high school years. Every date that Ralph and Tyrell played football together. Do they match? When do they match? Mm-hmm. We'll do, boss.
7: Uh, just uh, give me five more minutes, or should I? And uh, keep, keep it down, won't you? Working up, trying to sleep here. Okie dokie.
5: While Rosalind does that, what say you and I shake out the other end of our revelations from the last time?
1: You mean Mr. Poins? I'm going to shake that tree so hard, he's going to fall right in his face.
5: Uh-huh. You know where his office is?
1: It's Thursday. He's not at the office.
8: Step right up, folks. Step right up for the best marrows and calli- You two. What the heck is this? I do have a life outside the law, Ms. Casely. Ms. Bentley. Oins. Raising marrows, I find, is a splendidly relaxing endeavor. With proper cultivation, you can grow them to enormous shapes and sizes. Those are zucchinis. Marrows, and unlike people, they can never disappoint you.
5: I don't know if that was an insult or a worrying veiled reference to your personal life.
8: Of
1: course, you'll be disappointed if you expect a human to compete with zucchinis this size.
8: Fanta, <laughs> they're marrows. Drop the Farmer Act, Points. You do realize you're at a farmer's we market? We know
1: you tried to pressure Gerald Abernathy into saying that Julie was scared of Ralph.
8: You have his word that I said that nothing more.
1: Admit it. You know who took the evidence. You know who burned my truck.
8: Was this your plan? Make a scene at a farmer's market? Mr. Points. I will concede that I spoke to Gerald Abernathy. I was doing my due diligence as attorney for the Capsom family. I will even admit that my office conducted its own investigation of Julie's disappearance. May we see the results? Did you really think I was going to just say yes? If I
5: buy a couple of your zucchinis... Marrows! Will you say yes?
8: No! Though, if you do want to buy some marrows, may I recommend chopping them up and using them for kebabs? I find that they make an excellent meat substitute. Or, if you have a pasta maker... I'll get
1: those records points. I'll stick Malcolm on you to do it.
8: Well, go ask him. And tell him Aaron Poyne says his artichoke hearts are weak and worthless. They're nothing compared to my marrows.
1: I can't believe you actually bought some of his zucchini.
8: I'm trying to
5: cook more.
1: Malcolm? Malcolm Volio, Andy's primary lawyer. Malcolm Volio? Vince's brother? Be ready. Why? Well, have you ever heard the expression, that guy is a stick up his <laughs> Yes. It's a very common expression. Well, in Malcolm's case, that stick's been up there so long that man and stick have merged into one. Right. Hey, Malcolm.
8: Miss Bentley. Miss Casely, I presume. And I presume you are not here to admire or purchase any of my artichoke carts.
5: This is a Thursday. Why are all of the lawyers here instead of in court?
1: Malcolm, Aaron Poynes just told us his office conducted its own investigation of Julie Capsom's disappearance. I need those records.
8: In what capacity do you require those records? Explain. Are you asking as co host or private investigator? Were you officially commissioned in your capacity as private investigator to undertake this case, or are you simply dilly dallying along with this podcast?
5: How's your brother?
8: enjoying his podcast notoriety. Miss Bentley?
1: I believe the contract hiring me did also commission me as a private investigator, so we should have the legal standing to subpoena the records, depending, of course, on how you, yourself, worded those contracts.
2: Yes,
8: of course. Take this to Judge Hardbach, L.A. Superior Court. Since Julie was a resident of the district he represents, he has jurisdiction. And be sure to buy some of his lettuce heads as well.
5: Seriously? But I don't need lettuce.
6: Well, all this seems to be in order. And may I ask, what did you think of Guinevere? The children are coming for the weekend and they enjoy overly pretentious too long art films.
5: Then they will
7: be thrilled.
6: Splendid. I much prefer this phase of McPherson's career to his hangout comedy phase. Besides... What gentle slice of life comedy turns into a violent murder spree halfway through?
5: Some would argue that's what makes Standing Casual a modern American classic.
6: Some would be wrong. Let me just sign this here. And take this to Mr. Poyne's. Thanks. Don't mention it. I see you bought some of Mr. Poyne's zucchini? Marrows? It's zucchini no matter how much he insists otherwise. May I suggest getting a couple of heads of lettuce as well to go with it. Between those two, you have the makings of a good salad or a fine stir-fry. Be sure to visit Judge Juniper's stall if you wish to make a stir-fry. She has the best homemade cooking oil. Is
5: literally every judge and lawyer in Los Angeles here?
6: Why shouldn't they be?
5: So that was educational. Well, we got the records, didn't we?
1: Do you like zucchini? Zucchini pasta's pretty good. You offering to make me dinner? Why, Casley? it's so romantic. I just have a lot of it. I told you you didn't need to keep buying it just to keep things calm. How much did you end up spending at the farmer's market anyway? Uh... I'm just hoping it counts as a work expense. Should we take a break? Let's take way face break.
5: Losing keys. We've all done it. Isn't it just the worst? As the seconds tick on, you grow ever more frantic, filled with terror that something has gone horribly wrong. Maybe you've left them outside where desperate, dangerous prowlers can find them and creep into your house. Maybe you got drunk and threw them in the trash in a fit of rage. Maybe you even ate them. But worry no more! With the Wayface subcutaneous key tracker, shorter name coming when we think of it, you can never lose your keys. But Bia, you cry. We know you as a trusted podcast host and spokesperson for Wayface Industries, but there are already key trackers. What makes us different? Well, let me tell you, gentle listeners, there are indeed other trackers. But what if you lose the trackers? It could happen. Think about it.
4: Reach on, Sister Bee.
5: Yes, thank you, Mr. Wayface. What's that sound?
4: Why, that's the sound a tracker makes.
5: Why is it making. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mr. Wayface, did you hide a set of keys in here for a practical demonstration?
4: You're one sharp cookie, Bee. You know, it suddenly occurs to me. Why is that a compliment? Sharp cookies are not designer-friendly. Like biscotti. Those things will cut deep if you're not careful. I've been hospitalized twice for biscotti-related injuries.
5: You're supposed to dip them in coffee to soften them.
4: Huh. You're sharper than any biscotti I've ever been impaled on. I'm going to go write that down. No!
5: Please turn off the beeping first. Oh, God. You can't turn it off, can you?
4: Nope.
5: Just remove the batteries?
4: Can't. It's implanted in my skin.
5: What? Oh, goddammit, subcutaneous. This
4: way, even if you lose the keys, you never lose the tracker.
5: Just find the stupid keys and get out of my recording studio.
4: You know, it's the darndest thing. You
5: can't remember where you hit them.
4: <laughs> Isn't that just hilarious? Uh...
5: Are these them? Why is it still doing that?
4: Well, we haven't figured out how to turn it off yet, and because it beeps more frequently and louder the closer you get to the key. Get out of here!
5: The Wayface Subcutaneous Key Tracker. Never lose your keys again. Please note that if you purchase one of these, you agree to participate in the Wayface Industries Tracking Program at all times. For further details on this program, please stop asking. Wayface Industries, the good people.
1: We're sitting here with Kathy Schnuckerbrotzen. It's probably Dutch. Kathy is a casting director with a wide range of experience in Hollywood independent films over the past couple of decades, most notably, Guinevere. That was a memorable one. What can you tell us about the production? Whenever
2: we tried to talk to Cale McPherson, we got, well, you know Cale. I do, indeed. Have you ever noticed that on each one of his films, it's a totally different production team, totally different cast, everything... Is that uncommon? Not necessarily, but most major directors bring along a production posse, if you will. The same cinematographer, producer, editor, composer, or some combination. Or perhaps they have a common cast member like Scorsese and De Niro, or Scorsese and DiCaprio, or Scorsese and Pesci. But not a single cast or crew member has ever been on more than one film directed by Cale McPherson.
5: Except, of course, for Cale McPherson.
2: Well, Yes. You ever hear the story of that fight he had with the cinematographer John Lengthwise on Beside the White Chickens? I'd always heard it was just threats. Now I dated one of the costume designers on
1: that Detective Chimp movie he directed a couple years back, and she told me she'd heard it was full on punching. Like, they had to
5: literally drag McPherson off him. In some ways, it's not surprising that Standing Casual is the only film I've ever seen to bridge the gap between How I Met Your Mother and Dogville. I'm guessing this is leading up to the thought that this was not a happy set.
2: Well, let me put it this way. It's very much a do-your-job-and-get-out set. When you're off set, what keeps the crew happy? The parties. His films are absolutely notorious for the party scene, and even by Hollywood standards, these parties are are wild. So was Julie involved in the parties on Guinevere? Of course she was. There were even rumors, well... Those would be too unkind to restate, but there are rumors. Untoward activity? Precisely. What can you tell us about the scene with Ralph? Well, that was a first unit shot on uh, July twenty second, 2005. Usually, Kale would delegate these types of dialogue-free scenes to a second unit director. But that one he shot personally. Ralph is listed on the production paperwork as student number 39. He was actually supposed to also appear in an early assembly scene, and as a witness at the end to McConaughey's meltdown monologue before he rides his wheelchair off the bridge after shooting up the donut shop, but he is marked as having been absent those days. How did Ralph come to be cast? We did a cattle call through Central. His photo was in the pile. So did Julie ever intercede on his behalf? It's possible. I'm sorry, it's been 12 years, and since then I've cast... uh, Gosh, it must be close to 50 projects in the interim. And I can tell you how it would have probably gone down. I'm in my office going through photos. Julie sticks her head in and says, hey, I put a buddy of mine's resume and photo in the pile. His name is Ralph. Can he be an extra? And I say, sure, not a problem, and that's that. Something that inconsequential.
1: July 22nd.
5: So that puts it over 15 months beforehand. And so the official story, the one that we've all heard... Maybe a total lie.
2: A fabrication. But to cover up... What? You'll have to tell me.
7: Hello, gentle listeners. It's your old pal, Rosalind. And you probably have a lot of questions at this point. I do, too. Don't you, Pamela? I do, actually. Mostly along the lines of, are you getting paid for this? And... Are you union? (laughs) Good questions for another time. As has probably been hammered home this episode, if Julie knew Ralph before they officially met, that potentially changes the entire tenor of their supposed relationship. Now, let's take Natalie's theory that this proves Ralph was a stalker. If that was the case, then why wouldn't the Capsums try and publicize it? That was the story they were pushing in the press, after all— That they didn't means one of two things. One, they didn't know. Or two, Julie and Ralph were much closer than we were told. Or it could be a third totally other thing, too. Could be. So, let's make this easier. I'm about to eliminate one of those possibilities, because...
1: Rosalind, we just got documents from Mr. Poyne's office. Gonna need you to go over them once you're done with the high school records.
7: Gotcha, boss. Uh, by the way, Here. What's this? Photo of Ralph playing football freshman year. High school newspaper photo. Had to track down the hard copy in their library. You know, shockingly, a local public high school in Van Nuys has not put all its old high school newspapers online.
1: Yeah. And that's Tyrell. Pretty good photo for a high school newspaper. And uh, right there, cheering them on? Wait, where's my magnifying glass? Oh, there it is. Oh, f***. Yep. Julie's in the stands cheering them on? Yeah, so that moves the date from... July twenty second, 2005 to October 2001. Do you know what day in October? Sorry, boss. Paper was a little damaged. Well, you did what you could. Could you maybe get to work on the points, papers?
3: (sighs) Gotcha, boss.
0: She never told me any of this stuff. Not at all.
5: Natalie, we're as shocked as you are. But it seems like Julie knew who Ralph was, possibly as early as 2001. Can you think of any reason, if they were, say, involved, that she wouldn't tell you?
0: I don't know. Her parents, yes. Tyrell, yes. But she could have trusted me.
5: You've said in the past that Julie liked to come back home on all her breaks.
0: Yeah. Which, honestly... Was a bit weird?
5: Well, sure. She's a rich heiress. She could be living the jet-setting lifestyle
0: if she wanted. And, well, I don't know if I should say this. For Julie? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know that Julie didn't get along with her parents, right? Yeah. But you don't know the extent of it. Any time she tried to exercise her independence, they did their best to shut her down. Sometimes they could get rather... Honestly, at the time, I thought they could be pretty mean. And demanding the pressure they put on her. Looking back on it, it was too much. Now, I never witnessed anything bad, like like really bad, but that's what made it so scary. They didn't yell. They would just tell Julie how it was going to be. And then that's how it was. Look, Robert and Kathleen loved their daughter. They just had a very specific idea of who she was supposed to be. Who she needed to be if she wanted to be successful. And that,
5: perhaps, would
0: not involve any friends from Van Nuys. Maybe not. But... She could have told me. And Julie was never shy about bringing home boys her parents... When was the
5: last time you saw Robert and Kathleen?
0: The last time I saw Kathleen... It was a few months before she died. I didn't know she was sick. Though, looking back... I probably should have seen it. I was in medical school then, actually... Guess I was still learning the ropes. She was thin. Too thin. Barely looked up. Barely touched her food. And the last time I saw Robert was the funeral. I don't think he really sees anyone now. Except when he comes out to support Julie's law. Sucks to have that as your last memories of people you cared about, you know?
1: Hey, should we do a cone now? What? You know, change the mood a bit. This has been getting a bit grim in here. Are there funny cones? Depends on how you think about it.
7: Just stay on topic. For once. So, was that all the paper's points sent over? I think so. Why? Uh, Because I was filing them, and there's a lot of weird stuff in there. Uh, Did you know Julie had a Swiss bank account? Crazy, right?
1: Rich kids,
5: I guess. And she was studying in France.
7: So, why not a French bank account, huh?
5: We can definitely look into that. But yes, those were all the paper's points sent over.
7: Okay. Well, you ain't gonna like this. I hit the last document, summing up what they found. Oh, Jesus. Don't tell me. Yeah, afraid so. The last few pages are missing. That deceitful son of a... We had
5: a zucchini buyer, zucchini seller deal. You don't break that. Those are the rules! Okay, let's ease down. I could, I could, I could cut his heart out in the farmer's market.
2: Okay, commercial break, commercial break.
1: Via, have you ever been preparing for a party and thought,
2: well,
5: I
1: just don't have enough drinks for everyone?
5: You've described every party I threw in college. You threw parties in college. Stick to the script.
1: Well, now you'll never have to worry with the Wayface Industries dehydrated drinks for adults.
5: The Wayface Industries dehydrated drinks for adults? What are those? And are they like Tang? It's like Tang for adults. Now you don't
1: have to spend your hard-earned dollars on overpriced boxed wine, bottled beer, and vodka in a paper bag. Simply pour water on the dehydrated powders and zowie! You have alcohol that'll turn any party into a rager.
5: What flavors are there?
1: There's a classy red Merlot from the south of France, a fine sparkling white from the Napa Valley, beer for any Oktoberfest occasion. Say, I'm a bit thirsty now. (sighs) Wow, this actually isn't bad.
5: How much alcohol is in there?
1: Why enough to knock an elephant stone? Oh god. That's a strong aftertaste.
5: Whew. And where can you buy it?
1: Oh boy. Mmm. Boy. I think my internal organs just unionized. Oh crap. This is like that time I drank a whole bottle of Jaeger.
5: Oh. You just mentioned beer and wine, where there'll be other alcoholic beverages available soon. Uh, uh, Soon there'll be margarita flavors, gin and tonics, vodka stingers. Medic! (sighs) Wayface Industries dehydrated drinks for adults. Brought to you by Wayface Industries. Good parties for the good people. After I bought all that zucchini from you.
8: Marrows! You got through the documents that quickly?
1: We have an outstanding assistant.
8: Here's the thing, Ms. Casely. Ms. Bentley. I don't have those last pages.
1: What? But it was your investigation. I looked over the summaries. You tracked everything Julie and Ralph had done for the past five years. You knew they knew each other. I did. Why didn't you publicize
8: it? Attorney-client privilege.
5: Why didn't the Capsums want us to know that? And what happened to the last pages of the report?
8: The last pages of that report are for the only people who deserve to have them. Robert and Kathleen Capsum. What
5: could have possibly happened that's worth going to this much trouble? Why not just let the truth out there?
8: That's not for me to say.
1: You slippery son of a... Who burned my goddamn truck?
8: You are coming close to libel and... Right. Okay. It has occurred to me that you've never asked me if I knew Julie. Well, I assumed you had. In that case, you assumed correctly. The Capsons had been my clients for a few years at that point. And you may paint my clients as monsters at the heart of some dark conspiracy. But you must know that they loved their daughter very deeply. It broke their hearts what happened to her because of the past she went down. What? Before you came over here today, I spoke with Robert Capsom. I advised him that the only way you two would stop harassing this poor family is if he would speak with you regarding our investigation and what we found. And he has agreed. Robert
5: Capsom hasn't given an interview since... since before his wife died.
8: So I hope you two realize the gravity of what I asked and what he has consented to do. He will meet with you both tomorrow, 2 p.m., at his home in Beverly Hills. But I ask you, not as his lawyer, but as his friend, walk away. Do the decent thing for once in your life, Bentley. End this now, because nothing good will come of going any further. The truth will come of it. Very well. 2 p.m. tomorrow.
1: One last question.
8: Why are you wearing overalls and a straw hat? I have to get to the farmer's market. I have marrows to sell.
1: Nervous? No. You? You look nervous. I'm not nervous. I'm eager. Two sides of the same coin. Either way, you're looking forward to something, whether you can't wait for it to happen or you'd rather wait forever.
5: That something from one of your cones?
1: You want me to read you one?
5: That'll be the day. Yes? We're here to see Robert Capsom.
3: Julie was
6: a very brave child. Too brave, I think. Too much bravery destroys a person. It robs them of rationality.
5: Mr. Capsum, thank you so, so much for agreeing to meet with us.
6: It's not a pleasure. Oh. This one has been hounding my family for years. You'd think we were lurking in every shadow, waiting to pop out and wreck your car. Burn
1: my truck.
6: Why should I care if a truck gets burned?
1: Because it has evidence of your. Of
6: what? I lost my daughter. My nephew, my wife. And I alone am left to tell thee. Mrs. Bentley, your show talks about the capsman case curse. Seems to me that I am the victim of it.
5: So you listen to the show? Of
6: course I listen to that dribble.
5: Be that as it may. Thank you for agreeing to meet with us.
6: Be seated. So... What do you want to ask me? I'll only accept realistic questions, Ms. Bentley. Please keep that in mind.
5: How long had your daughter known Ralph Montgomery?
6: When I met Ralph, I thought he was only a passing college fancy.
5: Wait, back up. You met him?
6: Of course. She brought him over here for our approval. Which should have struck a warning bell in my mind right then.
5: He didn't do that for most college boyfriends, then?
6: None of them. Just him. Well, she did bring that ridiculous British singer over once, but that was just because a fundraiser needed some more star power. That was a disaster. Anyways, at the time, I thought they'd been dating for a month. According to our investigation, though, they'd known each other for at least since the beginning of high school. Perhaps more.
5: And were they involved that whole time?
6: Only they could have answered that.
5: Do you know how Ralph's torso ended
1: up in the car?
6: That sounds dangerously close to an accusation, Miss Bentley. I assume it was because of his drug dealing or some other half cocked scheme. He was a jealous one, Ralph, and a protective one. One is good, but the combination quite dangerous.
5: Protective? Was he trying to protect Julie? From who?
6: It doesn't matter. That jumped-up football player from Van Nuys failed, if that's what he intended.
5: You don't know that. Maybe...
6: I do. Miss Casley, Miss Bentley, the reason I called you here today is to discuss the last few pages of that report. I know that he failed. I know that all of these theories... You know, there are people who claim to see her in Mexico, in Italy, in Thailand. But they're all wrong. Because, Julie, my daughter, my daughter is dead.
5: They found her body,
6: evidence of her remains.
5: Why not
1: tell everyone? The world...
6: The world wasn't owed an answer. And I ask you, just imagine. You know what a frenzy occurred over her disappearance. Her remains would have been plastered on every front page. I... I... I didn't want that to be the last image everyone had of her. I wanted them to see her as alive, young beautiful as they should have seen her for years (laughs) Kathleen disagreed with me but she went along with it it ate her up inside but she's with God now as is Julie and Tyrell and I am left to tell thee
3: now get the hell out
5: Jesus. Do you need a drink? I feel like I need a drink. So that's it. She's dead. No. No, 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 no. That's not it. Because if she's dead, who put her there? Robert said Ralph was protective and jealous. Who was that from? Why did they try to cover up that they knew each other? Would that reveal the culprit?
1: Are those Wayface Industries dehydrated drinks for adults? I got a
5: bunch of them free.
1: Perks. Don't pour all that into your water bottle. I need a
5: freaking drink. You're
1: only supposed to do a teaspoon at oh, a time.
5: Oh, boy. Oh, that's going right to my head. I kicks him fast. Holy
1: I'm shit. I'm definitely driving. Please.
5: Right. Okay. Okay. Uh, we have the pieces. I'm
1: sure of it. We sure as heck do, because I got the last pages of the report. Made a copy before I left. All above board. Brenda, I could kiss you.
5: Oh, uh, that's the alcohol. I, uh...
9: Ooh, God. Oh, this was a bad decision.
5: You good? My pancreas is simultaneously on fire and melting. Emergency room? And then the studio. We are gonna talk this out got all of it, let's put it together. Gonna barf.
4: Is Julie dead? What are the answers to all those questions? And is B going to barf? Well, that last question I can legally tell you is not the fault of Wayface Industries' dehydrated drinks for adults, but a totally unrelated stomach flu. So enjoy a Wayface Industries' dehydrated drink for adults. Stay tuned for the next episode of Arden, brought to you by Wayface Industries, the good people.
3: Christopher Dole, and Sarah Golub. This week's episode was written by those same three people. Our audio engineer is Elizabeth O'Bear. Our editor this week was Christopher Dole. Our cast is...
7: Michelle Agresti, Tracy Syed. Shannon Estabrook. Charlita
2: Gaston.
6: Benjamin Watts.
2: Lindsay Zanna.
6: Robert Fleet.
0: Lindsay Syme.
8: Grant Patrizio.
6: John Rail.
0: Mia Drake.
3: The score is by Christopher Hatfield. The logo is by Dylan Farr. If you're enjoying Arden, or even if you're not, and want to drive us from the face of the internet, there are two ways you can do that. You can rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you found it. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, etc., etc. You can also look for us on Patreon, and you can toss us a couple of bucks there. That will get you access to special, exclusive episodes, other prizes, and all sorts of fun things. Tweet at us, ArdenPod, on Twitter. Our website is ardenpodcast.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. You can come and talk to us there if you really want to. As always, our wigs, all 500 of them, designed by Grant Patrizio. Come back next week for more adventures in Arden. Thank you. Good night.
0: The Fable and Folly Network where fiction producers flourish.
8: Dum Dums and Dice would like to welcome you into The Mythos Mysteries, a live-play Pulp Cthulhu podcast where improvisers and comedians venture into dangers beyond their wildest imagining. Our story begins with two erstwhile companions on a long and winding road. They think they are fleeing danger, but greater horror awaits them when they arrive. For they are not just running away from mortal danger, but towards the mythos mysteries.
9: Whoever you are, we're not scared of you.
6: You
3: hear a voice from inside that says,
6: please help. I'm inside the dresser, help.
9: Now I need you to listen to my very explicit instructions here, Adrian. Okay. Please ready your punch and fists.
6: Yeah, it's they're always
4: ready.
9: Now I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna open the door. Okay. And we're gonna look inside the dresser.
4: What if we don't? Could we not?
9: I need you to be brave for me.
4: Okay.
9: You were always very brave.
4: Okay. Okay. So we're going to open the door and you're going to look in the dresser. And then what?
9: And then if I tell you to. Yeah. We're going to punch it.
4: The dresser. He said I had to be very, he said explicit.
9: If there is someone in the dresser... I'm punching. We're going to punch him.
4: What if it's a ghost?
9: Well, then we're going to have ourselves a fun time. Like a party? (laughs) Like a birthday party.
4: Okay, so we'll do some dancing and there will be a cake. Hopefully the ghost brought it.
9: Yes.
6: Okay, I can do this.
9: Okay, I'm going to open the door now. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to open the door.
6: You open the door and the dresser is... Back upright, all the drawers are back inside, but now it is next to the window, and the bed is in a different corner.
9: Of course it is.
6: And the blood is pooling on the floor instead of the ceiling. It's dripping up.
8: The Mythos Mysteries. Episodes are available now.